Well, good morning, everybody. Hey, uh, welcome again to Faith, whether you're, you're joining us in person today, welcome if you're with us online today. Uh, my name is Mike, I'm one of the pastors on staff here. Glad to be with you as we are kicking off the fall. Uh, had a great sermon prepared and my dog ate my sermon notes. Um, <laughs> see what I did there? Wasn't that excellent? All right. No, um, let's pray and, and uh, we'll jump into things for today. Father, uh, thank you just for an opportunity to worship, to uh, be together as a, a family of faith, to encourage each other, support each other, to challenge each other, just try and love each other well. Father, help us just to seek your face today. Open our minds to you, to your truth. And today and in the weeks to come is we just explore um, some excuses that keep us from your best. God, I just pray you would break through those excuses and um, take us to the kind of life that reflects who you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So a few years ago, New York Congressman Vito Facello got pulled over in Alexandria, Virginia. He blew through a red light. Cops pulled him over. And as the officer approached the vehicle, there's this strong smell of alcohol coming out of the vehicle. So the officer had the congressman blow, and he blew .17, which you're like, like, what? That's more than double the legal limit. So off to jail, the congressman went. And when he got there, uh, and the drunken stupor began to subside, uh, and the hangover began to rage, he figured, like, I'm, a, I'm an elected public official. I got to come up with an excuse for this. So here was his excuse. You ready? His blood alcohol level was the result of the alcohol-based hand sanitizer he had used. <laughs> now, mind you, this is pre-COVID, all right? This might have worked last year, all right? But he's like, it wasn't, I wasn't drinking too much, no. I've been using all this hand sanitizer and it just kind of got away from me and it seeped through my pores and it just, it threw that pesky breathalyzer test all off kilter, right? This is an elected public official to your Congress, right? Kind of a lame excuse, it's the best thing he could come up with. He later pled no contest guilty to a DUI. Now, we, we are starting a series today called Excuse Me, and uh, in this series, we're, we're exploring together excuses that people come up with, and, and not so much excuses like Vito's, but the excuses that we have when oftentimes in life, we sense God is calling us to something more, to something deeper, that more accurate, accurately reflects the lives that he has spelled out for us in his word, and we've got excuses. For, for why we're not going to do that, for why we're not going to say yes to what God is calling us to. So, so we'll say things like, you know, I know God's called me to surrender my life to him, but, and you just fill in the excuse, and we all got different ones. We'll say things like, I know I should be growing to become more like Jesus in my marriage, at work, I know I should be more like Jesus at school, 
in my neighborhood, with this particular area in my life, but, and you just insert your excuse right there, I, I, I know I should be, God has given me gifts. I know I should be using them to make a difference right here in my church. I know I should be using them to make a difference out there in the world. But, and here's the reason why I can't. Or I know, I know I have found faith. I know I should be sharing this with other people. And I would, but, you just put your excuse right there. In, in, in key areas of our lives, we sense God is calling us to something deeper, something richer, something more. And we've got these excuses. And for a time, they're wonderful. They'll soothe our conscience. But they're really not helping us. And so what we're going to do in the series is each week, we're going to go after one of these key areas. And we're going to explore what we can do to get beyond our excuses and on to God's best for our lives. And today we're going we're to start with this first one. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I can remember, I can remember just sensing so clearly God was calling me to something different, something deeper, that he was calling me to fully surrender my life to Christ. And I had all these excuses for why I shouldn't do that. And I, I can literally remember somebody asking me about it. And, and saying to them, and this is, this is a quote, I'll clean it up a little bit, because um, I wasn't following Jesus at the time I made the answer. And like, hey, what about like, like following Jesus? And I was like, I know that the thing I need to do with my life is to give it to Jesus. I'm afraid if I do, he'll mess it up. And I had a slightly earthier way of expressing that, but you get the idea. Like, if you're here today and you've crossed the line of faith, can you remember before you made that decision how you, you filled in the blank there? Or if you're sitting here today or if you're watching online and you sense Jesus calling you to surrender your life to him, but you haven't yet, like what's the excuse that you have for not doing so? See, today we're, we're going to look at a scene from the life of an individual where this is where they're wrestling. An individual who senses God calling them to something deeper and richer, and they've got these excuses for why they won't. It's a scene that, that Luke and uh, Mark and Matthew, they all record. Today we're going to be in Luke chapter 18. If you have a Bible and you want to open it up, you can follow along. We'll have the, the passages up on the screen. But Luke records this individual's narrative for us, and it, it begins like this. Luke writes, a ruler questioned him, him being Jesus. A ruler questioned him saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, the man who is asking this question of Jesus is classically known in church circles as the rich young ruler, all right? Now, um, for today, for our purposes, we're just going to call him George, because um, it gets laborious all sermon long to be like, the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler. And so, just to save me some words and to make it simpler, we're going to streamline things, we'll call him George. Now, the fun part about this will be, somebody's going to walk in late today, all right? And they're going to be like... How in the world did they know the rich young ruler's name is George? Like, is that in the original language? Pastor dug deep today, you know? And you have my permission to mess with them after church, all right? 
as you're at breakfast, as you're at lunch, you can be like, like they, they, this deep, complicated theological explanation for that, and it's bigger than I can explain. You're going to have to go back and watch the live stream to understand it, right? But so, so George comes to Jesus, and again, George is known as the rich young ruler because when you take Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke's um, description of this event, they tell us, between the three of them, that George was rich, that he was young, and that he was a ruler, which makes this question on George's part in his culture and ours, it's a bizarre question to ask. Because George already has everything that his world would tell him he needs to be alive. George is rich. He rolled up to this meeting with Jesus on a young carbon-neutral camel, right? He's wearing designer robes. He's got all kinds of zeros at the end of his bank account. He wants for nothing. George is young. His hair is not graying. His joints aren't aching. He doesn't need glasses to read the print. He's got more life to look forward ahead of him than he has passed on behind him. And George is a ruler, which in his culture means he is one of the youngest CEOs his company has ever seen. He is, he is well-known in his community. He is well-loved in his community. He is influential. George is healthy, he is wealthy, and he is killing it you know, vocationally and socially. George has everything he's been told he needs to have to live the best life possible. And yet George is going, there's something missing. In spite of everything I have, it's still not enough. There's this hole in my soul that all of my money and success just cannot fill. And George has enough sense to understand what he's missing is spiritual and that maybe Jesus can figure it out. And so George, he comes to Jesus, he's like, Jesus, my friends think I'm nuts for even asking the question, but I know something's missing. Jesus, what do I have to do to really be alive in this life and to be ready for the life to come? So Jesus has got an answer. And I'll warn you, Jesus' answer is a little bit off-putting. Jesus says to him, why do you call me good? No one's good but God alone. Now, I read this, and I'm like, Jesus, what are you doing? <laughs> like, this guy's coming for spiritual direction, and, and you're all needlessly confrontational here. What's your problem? And Make no mistake. Jesus is intentionally confrontational here. He's not needlessly confrontational confrontational though. You see, Jesus understands where George is at, what it is that is keeping George from experiencing the life that he longs for, and where George needs to go if he's going to experience that life. And so what Jesus is going to do over the course of this conversation, and try, is he's going to try and step by step take George on a journey. A journey that causes him to become self-aware, a journey that causes him to see what it is that he's missing. And in the first part of this journey, Jesus is going to try and get George to deal with his religion problem. See, based on the culture that George is coming out of and the way that he uses the word good, you know George has got a problem with religion. Religion in our day and in George, George's day, the mantra was very simple. I obey, therefore I am accepted. I do these good things 
And God, in return, has to be good to me. He has to give me the kind of relationship with him that I want. He's got to take my life in the direction I want it to go. In George's day and in ours, with religion, there's this, this scale. And way over here, you got the really good people. And way over here, you got the really lousy people. And everybody's going to fall on this scale. And you can measure where you're at compared to people around you. And as long as you're doing better than the folks around you, you're, maybe you're doing all right. And so George, he comes to Jesus. He's like, Jesus, you're way over here on the right. You're a really good guy. So tell me, what do I got to do to get God to take my life where I want it to go? And what George fails to realize, Jesus didn't come to start a religion. He came to heal our relationship with God. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus had little patience for religion because he understood what it does to us in our relationship with God. And so Jesus starts off and he's like, George, you, you, you got this all wrong. George, there is one who is good. There is one who is holy. There is one who is free from sin. That is God himself. And everybody else falls short of the glorious standard that he has set up in himself. And George, as far as your scale thing here goes, George, it's not about how you're compared to the person next to you. George, everybody on that scale, they fall into one of two places. Either they measure up perfectly to God's holy standard, and then you got everybody else. And everybody else, they fall short of God's standard. They stand justly condemned before a holy God. George, if you're calling me good, you're calling me God. And I won't argue with you on that point, but let's make sure we're using this term the same way. And then after being confrontational, Jesus goes on and he says this next to George. He says, George, you want to have life? You know the commandments. Don't commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. George, you, you want to have life? You know the Ten Commandments, just keep them. Now, now, again, at first blush, this seems like Jesus is offering a religious solution to George's religious problem. George, you, you, want, you want to get God to do what you want him to do? Just do this good stuff. That's not what Jesus is doing. Again, he's trying to take George on this journey. He's attempt, Jesus is, is, is attempting to help George become self-aware. Trying to help him understand how he's tried to pursue a relationship with God and whether or not that's working. And so George comes and he's like, Jesus, I need to know how to have life. And Jesus is like, George, well, just, just do these things. You know the Ten Commandments, just keep them. And George's response is, all these things I have kept from my youth. In other words, Jesus, I have been doing this my whole life. Since I was old enough to be considered accountable, like I haven't slept around and I haven't killed anybody and I don't take anybody's stuff and I tell the truth and I'm respectful. And Jesus, it's not working. See, Jesus is trying to help George understand how his whole life he's tried to pursue a relationship with God based on his good behavior. And how that hasn't brought him the life he's desperate for. See, just like George, it is possible for regular people like you and me to come to church on Sundays, to, to try and conform our lives to the directives of the New Testament, to work 
hard to be good people. And, and listen, don't misunderstand me. I am not against any of those things. I, I want people to come to church. I want people to study the scriptures and try and apply those, the, what they're learning to their lives. I want to see people work to follow Jesus. But simply coming to church or doing what the Bible says or working hard to be a good person, those things in and of themselves don't give me a relationship with God. If, if those are the things I'm trying to do to earn a relationship with God, that's just more religious noise. That's just more, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. God isn't interested in our religion. He isn't interested in, in, in us trying to manipulate him into some kind of relationship where he's got to do what we want him to do. No, God is interested in us coming to him, not because we've earned our way there through the good things we're doing. We're coming to him knowing he alone is good. We are sinners who have fallen short of the standard that he has set up. And we come to him because he is forgiving and gracious and merciful. And because God has poured out his grace and mercy and forgiveness in our lives, then we live the way we do. The, the, the things that we do, they're not the basis for the relationship with God. They're an expression of gratitude because that relationship exists. And so George comes to Jesus thinking, I'm, I'm going I'm to good work my way into relationship with God. But it's not working. He's done everything his church has told him to do in order to be a good person, and still his life is missing something. And so he comes to Jesus, he's like, Jesus, what do I got to do? And Jesus is like, just follow the commandments, George, and you can, just, you can hear the desperation. Jesus, I have, and that's not working. And Jesus is like, there you go, George. Now, now we're on the same page. So how about we try something different? And so next Jesus says to George this. He says, one thing you still lack. Sell all your possessions and distribute it to the poor. And you shall have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. Now again, who's ready to make this our life first? Anybody? No, all right. You see, you're like, Jesus, this is nuts. <laughs> This is, fi this is financially irresponsible. Jesus, it feels like more like do good stuff to earn a relationship with God. What are you doing? Hang in there with Jesus. He's like one step away to getting to the very heart of the issue with George. See, see again, Jesus uses the Ten Commandments as, as, as a foundation to have this conversation with George. And so, I don't know if you noticed... But when he starts, Jesus tells George to keep the commandments. He doesn't list all of them. He just lists the commandments that have to do with how we interact with each other. Right? Like things like adultery and murder and lying and stealing and respecting. All commandments that deal with how we interact with one another. All commandments that you can kind of measure how you're doing compared to the people next to you. All commandments that like when somebody else breaks that commandment, you can see it in them. And, and when you break that commandment, they can see it in you. 
And some of you are like, oh, well, I don't know. I mean, you can disrespect your parents and nobody's going to know. Your parents will. Like people commit adultery, they keep that a secret all the time. If you are committing adultery, at least one other person knows, all right? It's just how it works. All right, think about it, all right? You'll get there, all right? Jesus, he lists all the commandments that have to do with how we interact with one another. What Jesus is doing here, he's now moving to the first two commandments that capture how we interact with God. If you remember back from our, our Big Ten series, first two commandments, you shall have no other gods before me, and you shall have no idols. And, and the idea we talked about is that, that God is meant to occupy the place of first importance in our lives, that God and God alone is meant to sit on the throne of your heart and mine. And that anytime anyone or anything occupies that place of first importance, anytime anyone or anything sits on the throne that God is meant to sit on, that thing becomes a false God. That person becomes an idol. And so with the first two commandments, they're foundational to our relationship with God. We come to him making him and him alone the thing of first importance in our lives. And, and then th that's the foundation of the relationship, and it's the foundation for all the other commandments. I keep the other commandments because God has first place in my life, because he has first importance in my life. If, if I'm keeping the other commandments without God having first place, again, that's just religion. Jesus knows George has got the first two wrong. Jesus knows George's money and his resources, they occupy first place in his heart. His money sits on the throne. And Jesus knows that as long as George's money sits on the throne of his heart, he is never going to have the kind of life that he is desperate for or was made for. And Jesus knows that for George, at least for a time, George is going to have to let go of his grip on his money in order to get his money to let go of its grip on him. So Jesus is like, George, you want life? All your stuff put up on eBay, Marketplace, you, you drain the 401k, the stock options, and you just give it all away. Let go of your idol, George. Release the false god. Come and follow me, and you will have life like you never imagined possible. So to summarize, George comes to Jesus. He's like, Jesus, I, I, I want to be alive. What do I got to do to have eternal life? And Jesus, he attempts to take George on this journey where he gets George to recognize a few things. He, he tries to get George to see that God and God alone is good. That God and God alone is good. That, that there, there is a holy God. And he alone is free from sin. That every one of us, we fall short of the glorious standard that he has set up in himself. And, and Jesus tries to get George to see that God isn't interested in our religion. He wants a relationship with us. We're not coming to him forming a relation. You know, our interactions with God, they're not based on the good things we're doing. God isn't... We don't have anything to offer here. 
We are coming to God, broken sinners in need of forgiveness. And God pours out his grace, his mercy, and his forgiveness into our lives. And then the good things we're doing, they're an expression of that. And Jesus is trying to get George to see that God and God alone is meant to occupy the throne of his heart. That every area of his life, George is meant to bring that under the authority of God. So Jesus has this conversation with George. Tries to make these things apparent to George. And we're told that after doing so, something tragic happens. That when he, he being George, when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. And then Matthew tells us that George walked away from Jesus. He was extremely sad because he was incredibly wealthy. When Jesus said, hey, you need to see God and God alone is good. And, and God wants a genuine relationship with you. He's got to rule first place in your heart. George is like, no, I'm walking. And in walking away, George is essentially telling Jesus, I prefer to earn my way to God. If, if I can earn my way to God, I don't have to face the fact that I'm a broken sinner who's fallen short. And, and in walking away from Jesus, George is also essentially saying, I don't want to let go of my idols. Like, yeah, my money, my resources, they are not bringing me the life that I am desperate for, but I cannot imagine my life without my resources on the throne of my heart. And in walking away from Jesus, George is saying, Jesus, I don't want to follow you. Jesus, this idea of taking every area of my life and placing it under your authority, I'm not doing it. George walked away from Jesus and he walked away from the life that his soul was starving for. So as we finish today, I just want to ask you, for you, whether you're sitting in the room today, whether you're watching online today, is your relationship with God what it's meant to be? And if it's not, why? What are the excuses that you would offer? Like George, would you prefer to earn your way to God? Because if you can get there by being good, it lets you maintain your pride. And you don't have to, you don't have to deal with this idea that you're broken in need of redemption. Or, or like George, do you have idols in your life that you just don't want to let go of? Maybe it's a relationship you have. Maybe it's a relationship you don't have, but you're desperate for. Maybe it has something to do with your 
wealth and your resources. Maybe it has something to do with your vocation, your education, some, some, some behavior in your life. And you know this thing isn't bringing me life. But you just cannot envision your life without that thing on the throne of your heart. Or like George, are you unwilling to follow Jesus? This idea of I'm going to take every area of my life, every thought, every word, every philosophy, every action, and I am going to place it under the authority of Jesus. You're going, I'm not doing that. Because I'm afraid he'll mess my life up. Or is there something else for you? See, today, just like Jesus was inviting George, he's inviting you and me. He's inviting us to the kind of life we were made for. If today you've had enough, you've got the best this world has to offer and it's not enough and you've had enough of that. Today you know Jesus is what I need. And you're ready to say yes rather than walk away. We're going to pray before we finish our worship. And I just invite you to pray with me. So let's pray together. Father, we just come to you confessing you and you alone are good. God, we have fallen short, we are broken, we have gone our own way, we have sinned. God, forgive us, please. We can't make this right, we need you. Today, we want to put our faith in Jesus, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. We don't pretend to understand everything. We don't pretend to have it all figured out. But we want to take all of who we are and surrender it to him. It's in his name that we pray.